This is the Training Talks podcast with your host Richard Kelly of RK Fitness and Lawrence Davis of LXD Fitness. So everyone knows that omega-3, 6 and 9 are things that you should have in your diet on a regular basis. And if you can't get them from your diet, you tend to take them from supplements. Fish oil, cod liver oil, that kind of thing. But there's actually some issues around omega-6 and omega-9. So omega-9 isn't actually essential your body can create it. So you don't actually need to supplement omega-9. All right. Omega-6 in high dosages can be detrimental. It can cause blood clots. It can raise blood pressure. So what's interesting is is in, in food, is kept at a good ratio against omega-3. So the ratio between omega-3 and omega-6 is the key thing here. So as long as that ratio is greater than 4 to 1, so 4 omega-3 grams to 1 omega-6, as long as that ratio is greater, it's, it's all fine. It's when the ratio is shorter than that that it causes problems. So wait, in the wild, it's always more than a 4 to 1 ratio? Yes, yeah, so you get way more omega-3. And say, say like you take a piece of salmon, naturally that piece of salmon has more omega-3 than it has omega-6. So you need a smaller dose. When, it's, when the ratio is out of whack, too high, or too, too narrow, then that's where you get problems. So when you're supplementing with omega-6 if you're not getting fish, then that's where you get problems because you have to make sure that ratio is there. So you do need it, but you need a much smaller dosage of it. Stuff like mackerel is a good source of omega-3 and omega-6. Salmon has slightly more omega-3. Uh, you can also get omega-3 from flaxseed if you're a vegan. But how much flaxseed would you need to consume? Well, this is it. So you can get you can take tablets, I think, that are flaxseed-based, vegan tablets. Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to have a look at it now. I'm not vegan, however... Something like that would be good. Apparently, if you take omega-3 tablets that are from fish, if it has a fishy smell, then that means the tablets are uh, rancid. So it means you should actually throw them away and get some new tablets. But that means naturally it's fresher, but then it expires quicker. Yeah, so I don't. in terms of storage, I don't think there's an easy way to store it. But it also means that really it's one of those supplements you should be buying on a more regular basis than longer term. But then, the, but then it comes back to the problem, one of the problems we've had during this whole podcast is the freshness of something yeah and from the source to your door how long is it taken i'm pretty certain you can buy omega-3 that is in chiller um like fridges and stuff like that from certain supplement shops so it's effectively live omega-3 because it's kept in fridges i wonder what it is that'd be a very good thing to buy however i did read with that that sometimes it's already technically dead because it's been out of a fridge in transportation for too long and then they've just put it in the fridge. So it's kind of like... So you get back to the same problem. So ba- but base- the flaxseed would alleviate that. The flaxseed would alleviate that, but I don't think it's as good a source. The two key things from Omega-3 are EPA and DHA. Okay. It's not really re- relevant what they are, but they're... EPA is more useful for uh, joint recovery, swelling, pains, that kind of thing in the body. DHA is about brain functionality and brain health. So although we're obviously a training podcast, so people would tend to say, well, I want more EPA then. But DHA is also important because it helps the brain functionality. So it it delays stuff like Alzheimer's and stuff like that as well down the line in the long term. One of the issues with flaxseed is flaxseed contains 700 milligrams of uh, a combination of DHA and EPA per tablespoon. Fish oils are 1000 milligrams, so one gram in combination. The other thing is flaxseed has a fixed ratio of EPA and DHA. If you want more, say, EPA, you can't get it from flaxseed because you can't change the amount you're getting from that. You see what I mean? So if you've got... So you have to up the dosage of both. You can't just up the yeah. dosage of one. But then how can you do that with fish oils? Because fish, different fish have different ratios. 
which makes sense. However, then it will come down to that thing which is always rears its head is not what fish is it. How fresh is the fish in terms of how much of the nutritional value is still in the fish now? Yeah, and it also means that's why cod liver oil is good for joints. But salmon capsules or capsules from salmon are better for the brain because of those ratios. So therefore, what this boils down to as well is if you're going to do this by supplementation from from capsules, you might need a range of different types of omega-3 capsules in your house depending on what you're looking for from it for that day. (laughs) Which sort of negates the whole point. You might as well just buy some fish. You know what would be interesting to find out? How quickly omega oils deteriorate in a dead fish. So one potential way around that, because I don't think anyone has actually done a study and looked at that, is to get your food from a fishmonger. Because fishmongers tend to get a fresh catch that day. So that would that would mean that at least the fish you're getting has been caught within the last 24 hours. The other thing with this is that I find quite interesting is, is one piece of salmon, like a salmon fillet that you'd standardly buy from the supermarket has a thousand milligrams or could have could have a thousand milligrams which is a combination of the epa and dha that you need so therefore you could theoretically just have a salmon fillet as your offset but that's only going to give you one capsule's worth of of omega-3 so listeners we're trying to give you as many options as possible so you could go with normal fish oil tablets but then, you know, you've got to worry about how long it lasts. In my opinion, I would go with the flaxseed. I would go with the flaxseed supplementation and additional fish on a regular basis, maybe twice a week. Yeah, I think twice a week is a good recommendation for fish. So, in terms of sports performance, even at a recreational level, I'm in love with BCAAs. See, I don't really like BCAAs. I, there's, there's something about, for me whey protein having more of a benefit well not just whey protein any any protein powder see the problem i find with a protein powder is you're getting the protein it may not be in the form you need it because you know like as we've learned over the years you can't handle whey protein no and most people don't realize that whey protein is dairy and is derived from cheese yeah so you've got that to worry about so then you've got to go to something like a hemp and pea protein but for me it's the fact that there's so much else in the protein shake that you don't really need all I really want is the protein. If you're a bodybuilder, it might, from my perspective, listeners, if you're a bodybuilder and you're trying to get that, you need the extra calories, then a protein shake is perfect. I would do a protein shake all the time. Do BCAAs bump up your protein numbers in the same way that a protein shake would? So a protein shake, when, when you're looking at, say, a food diary kind of situation like my fitness power, whatever, you add the you add the protein shake into the the food diary and it gives you x amount of you know grams of protein which count towards your calories right so say for the sake of argument 20 grams do bcaa's do that if i put bcaa's into my food diary do they carry over the same way let me check so one tablet of a bcaa is about 10 grams whereas protein you only get five grams you from from whey, a protein, yeah, yeah from, from whey protein. You know you've got essential, non-essential proteins. Yeah, you can get the non-essential ones from your diet, but the essential ones such as leucine, valine, and isoleucine. Listeners, hopefully, I pronounced that right. You can't get them from your diet, and they're the ones that you need to top up. Well, you can you can get them from your diet. They're harder to get because they only come from meat. I'm pretty certain. Okay, so normal people, well, not normal people, 
me personally, I eat a significant amount of meat. So I just need those extra ones, which I can't synthesize in my body at a high enough rate to boost me up. Yeah, so the, 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 they are the BCAAs, those three. Those three. And they're, they're the essential ones because you can't just synthetically make them from your own system. You have to get them from, you can get them from food sources, but often you don't get enough of them in the food source because when you break the food source down, say like salmon, it might not have enough of it. So you could eat a kilo of salmon and it might not have enough of them. I mean, I'm pretty certain a kilo of salmon would, but the point is, is you might have enough protein as a macro, but you might not have enough of the essential that you need, which is the theory of the BCAAs. I'm pretty certain that with a protein shake, if you do two scoops of a protein shake, you've got enough. And I I would argue that for most people, they tend to over um, consume carbs and under consume protein. So the protein shake might be a viable way around that problem. But how many calories in a protein shake per scoop? No, you don't even need to look at it. I know. Go 150. On. Is that before you add in the yes. alcohol water? This is by itself in a powdered form. One scoop is 150 calories. And most want you to take two scoops. And we're bearing in mind, unless you've got a protein shake in front of us, we actually don't know whether those two scoops actually give you a high enough dose of the essential ones that we're talking about. It may just be a balanced amount yeah. of all of them. What, we, what we're also talking about in fairness from a, in, a, in BCAA numbers is that five grams is based on whey protein. We don't know with pea and hemp whether it's gonna have enough of them. The other problem you've got as well is sometimes the number on the back of the thing, on, on, the, on the label, will say it's got 30 grams of protein in it, but that is 30 grams with milk and not just from the powder. And you know how many extra calories are gonna be added on from milk? Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's a mess with a protein shake, and for most people, as I said, unless you're bodybuilding, you don't really need that much. Well, I mean, I think we can we can both agree that ideally you get most of that protein from food. Yes. If you had a like a female client who didn't eat meat, I would maybe think about protein shake. Yeah, or someone who's massively under eating calories as a means to try and bring it up in a simpler way. Because it's an easy way to consume extra calories but then also because you've got the sugar spike you're like will it actually do the job maybe it might be better to go to a BCAA and get them to snack more yeah but these are all the things that you know not going off point but these are all the things you'd have to consider but for me BCAAs are always a way forward so four times in my life I've taken creatine (laughs) <laughs> is it only four times? Only four times. Okay. For let's say a month and a half in terms of duration. And it is worked amazingly. But I always get one side effect. Go on. I put on a lot of muscle. I have minimal water retention. But for some reason, I get extremely tight during the process. Maybe because the rate of muscle or the rate of development I get... I don't do enough stretching to match it or maybe it actually dehydrates my body and my fascia which means I become tighter. Well, have you thought about pairing it with magnesium? See, I thought about that but then I would, pairing it with magnesium would help but then I would also need to have something which, like an electrolyte. So, drink Lucozade in the bath? <laughs> no, <laughs> drink Lucozade. That might not be a bad idea. No, um, <laughs> I, my thought process right now 
would be creatine with a BCAA, which also has electrolytes in, plus the magnesium. And see how that goes for one phase. Is it is it the sodium that you I, need from the, the electrolytes? I don't know. But I feel like something is missing. Every time I take creatine, there's something that I'm not able to do at a fast enough rate compared to the development of muscle. And I always get tired after like six to eight weeks. It works, but I have to come up to creatine to sort the problem, which is cause, which is the tightness. It is always a mess. It always <laughs> makes me laugh. So for the, the listeners out there that may not know too much about creatine, it's amazing at so many things. But at the same time, it also, for a lot of people, it causes water retention. Yeah, it can do. So creatine is part of the energy process. It's naturally occurring. That's the first yep. thing. So it's, it's you already have it in your body. And it typically tends to help in terms of um, doing resistance work around, I think it's reps five to seven. And then in terms of sports perspective, it's, it's good for recovery. So it's if you think about it from, say, a tennis perspective, it's probably shot five or shot six. Where it comes in, it's enabling you to get to those shots. And, you know, that sounds a bit odd, but if you, if you play tennis, that's usually the point at which the rally starts sort of bedding in. If you can get to that point, then you're, you're well within a rally. Most tennis points are won within the first four shots. So it's getting you beyond that point effectively. It's also good in sports where you need to rapidly recover lost possessions. So like basketball, football, rugby, that kind of thing. It would have a carryover there. It tops up your natural level, so it gives you that extra boost. The loading phase, interestingly enough, that everyone does is always five days. Do you know why it's five days? No. So initially when they were looking at creatine, because it was something that occurred in humans, it was banned from study when they found it. So the only place they were allowed to study it was in Sweden. And it was uh, UK scientists that were looking at it. So at the time it was pre-EU, so they could only get a five-day visa to go to Sweden. So I think maybe a week long. So they'd leave day one, go to Sweden, do five days of loading, and then come back from Sweden. So they could only do five days of loading. So that, that's why they only have a five-day loading window because the research was limited to five days at that time. And then since then, has it not been restudied and reformulated? Well, there are people who do a 30-day loading cycle. I don't think you need 30 days. Well, you do, but you do a much lower level of dose. So when you do the five-day loading, you basically take... a, a as you've said before, like a mega dose of it. It's that two to 10 grams per day. Yeah, whereas once you're in maintenance after that five-day period, you take a you take effectively a, a much lower dose, which is just to maintain the level. But if you follow the 30-day process, you effectively take... It's three grams. Yeah, a much lower dose. And it's because you lose less because it comes out... Uh, it's water-soluble, so it comes out in the urine. So if you take the five, uh, the two to 10 grams... You're, you, you know, you're at that upper end, you're at that 10 gram number to start with, you'll lose a huge amount of it every time you pee. And then once you've maintained it, it sits there. The other thing about creatine is it doesn't impact your own hormone levels because it's naturally occurring. You can effectively stay on it the whole time because you don't need to come off it. It doesn't, it doesn't lower levels. So it's not like, say, um, other supplements which can impact your natural occurring levels by overdosing on it for a, for a period of time. See, but I've heard that usually you should only do it for three months. That's because initially when creatine became popular in the 1980s, a lot of the people taking creatine were also taking special vitamins. And For the listeners out there, we always class them as special vitamins, but we mean steroids. Yeah. But we're saying it in a nice way. And the assumption was, was that like steroids, you had to come off them after a short period of time because they can affect your hormones. But that's actually been proven to be false. So you can stay on them. Having said that, with anyone 
that does take creatine that I train, I tend to try and get them to do at least two days off of creatine a week just to allow their system some level of recovery because with any supplement you're taking, any pill-based thing, how much of it is, is not naturally occurring. Obviously, the liver has to protest it, so giving the liver and the chance to catch up and be clean and flush is a good idea. It would be like, theoretically, drinking a glass of wine you know, one day a week is seven glasses. You could do seven glasses of wine in, you know, three days. It's the same amount. Does it make a difference? Well, yeah, because the liver gets less hammered, less often, frequency. That makes sense. So that's my plan. Drinking wine every day. <laughs> no, not the wine. The creatine with the magnesium and the BCAA electrolytes. I like that. And let's see what happens. Let's see if I can stay on it for more than a month without me becoming so tight I can't work my bum. Are you <laughs> are you gonna add in mobility work additionally? So I know you already do it, but are you gonna add additional mobility in? No, not really. I think I'm gonna make sure I have the the prehab and the regular massage booked in, but other than that, no. Cause I wanna see. I wanna see if it's if it's that thing itself which is causing it or if there's more behind it. Cause you know it's always trial and error. The other thing is, are you taking tablets or powder? Powder for the BCAAs, electrolytes, powder for the creatine, tablets for the magnesium. I find I'm in a rare group of people. I really can't take big tablets. No, I know a few people like I that. I can't, yeah, I can only take that one tablet at a time. So me having things in tablet form is just a nightmare because I'm going to end up regurgitating half of it. Which is funny because every morning I have six tablets when I wake up. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I've seen people take four tablets at a time, put them in their mouth, and just Oh, no, I can't do that. I like, see one at a time. Like, how? How is that possible? But, hey. Yeah, when we're looking at any supplements, really, it needs to be, if you can't get it from your diet, then it's good. It's a supplement. Yeah. yeah. And it's just a way to keep yourself healthy and active. And just make sure you cover all your bases. Yeah. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation today. There's going to be some topics that we spoke about which we'll do in greater detail because I don't know about Richard, but it's something I need to talk about a bit more, but we had to kind of cut them short because of, you know, the, the general conversation. Yeah. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.